Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ask Amy. Today we have a guest, Eric Dick, who's joining us to talk about insurance claims because it's about to get really cold. Um, maybe a really busy time of year for you. It can be, yeah. <laughs> it depends on what happens. And you know, I'm a resident of Houston. It's, it, I do like the little splash of cold weather. Yeah. This is, this is the, the downside we have for six months of a summer. Yeah, exactly, right? Well, I, I think that any time we talk about temperatures dropping below freezing since February of 21, yeah. people tend to freak out a little bit, <laughs> rightfully so. Yeah, that's a um, good one. Yeah, it was a good one. It was a good one. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you about, we do all of the normal um you know, make sure you wrap your pipes and make sure you know, here are the proper ways to get your home ready for a freeze since we don't see these all that often. But I wanted to talk to you about insurance and claims because if you find yourself in a situation where you're needing to make an insurance claim, maybe knowing some of the things, the knowledge that you have beforehand could help homeowners. 100%. Yeah. So um, these, I've done a lot of these insurance claims. Yeah. Um, I've done like probably with the freeze type of claims, I've probably done maybe two or 3,000 of them. Wow. So there's there's few lawyers in the Houston area or even Texas that understand these as well as I do. Yeah. Um, so just kind of a little background. Yeah. Um, I'm a lawyer. I'm a native Houstonian. Uh-huh. I went to law school actually in Michigan because they offered me a partial scholarship. Uh-huh. Um, I got a MBA from Rice University and I, I got a another master's from Duke. I'm a lifetime learner. Um, Uh But so I really kind of got into, I was an insurance agent before um, selling insurance. And I really got into this like when uh, Hurricane Ike hit. And I started doing a lot of insurance law. Um, Done a lot of claims. So for the freeze claims, there's a lot of kind of issues that always pop up. Uh I think the most important thing someone can do is just be generally familiar with their type of policy. And I got to admit... I'm not. And I want to talk to you about that because especially with the insurance industry right now, we've been doing all the stories on how insurance companies are, you know, they're closing and they're dropping coverage and they're leaving markets and it costs so much more to get homeowners insurance. So I think a lot of homeowners looking to not spend more than what they think they can afford may just be taking the policy that is least expensive bad idea. Uh, yeah, because the difference in pricing usually is nominal mm-hmm. between a TDP type of policy, which is your low end type of policy, uh-huh. to an HO type of policy. That's okay. your higher end. Okay. Right. Really, the thing is the the name of the game is what is covered. Okay. And so, so Eric is going to be talking. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. Don't, no, Obviously, okay. he has all this knowledge. We want to teach you all these things as you go through. You'll be able to find information in our show notes and stuff. But TDP backup stands for Texas Dwelling Policy. That is, it covers like eight peril. It doesn't cover a whole lot. Covers your wind, uh, fire, smoke, explosion, lightning, but it doesn't cover water. And it's the basic type of policy. Yeah, basic type of policy, not such a good policy. And the difference in price between that type of policy and like a an expanded uh, an HO, like three, which is like your all-peril type of policy, is significant. Yeah. Um, and it 
an HO3 type of policy is an all-risk policy. It covers everything if it's direct physical loss. Okay. You want that type of policy, or at least one with a lot of different perils, an open peril type of policy versus just one with very few perils. Um, the main reason we should talk about that specifically to freezing is because for TDP1 type of policy, water coverage generally is not covered, and if it is, it's severely limited. I saw the limits in the winter freeze from $100 to... $100. That would be a limit. Yes. What can you get with $100? Uh, I don't... Uh, Barely even get a part of your sheetrock cut out. Some probably. tissue to cry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's about it. But what's weird about those policies is even whenever they have that TDP type of policies, if they mm -hmm. do cover water for a limited amount, um, the ALE actually is is usually the limits okay so that's ALE. a weird thing that's a weird thing most people don't the pop the insurance companies don't always know that that's the adjusted living expense yeah the ale even though you'll have a low limit in those tdp policies mm -hmm. like a wellington or a hoaic those they'll have those small limits uh -huh. oftentimes that's because it's uncoverage uh a is those limits it's not in coverage C. Okay. This is all hyper-technical. you got to read it. And right. And I feel like people don't. Go and ahead, so, because I asked Eric, so, okay, when I call, can I say I want an HO3 policy? And he's like. So, um, you can. Um, your insurance agent may not know what that means, even though they should. If they know it, though, if you say HO, they should know what it means. Mm -hmm. All that, all I'm referring to is um, there's forms that insurance companies use when they write policies. Um, HO is the type of form they use. Okay. HO3 is more of your expanded, your all-peril type of policy. TDP is, again, a form that the state generates that insurance companies use to write policies. All these are forms. Okay. And the, and the insurance company, they'll adjust the forms, they'll change it. So you got to pay attention to the insurance company, you got to pay attention to what their exclusions are, what all they change. Get a good insurance agent. Yeah, so TDP, not so great. That's the basic type of policy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cover a whole lot of things, like eight different perils, but usually not water. HO3 would be good. It's expanding the type of perils that are covered. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's HO1 is kind of the low. It goes up. HO3s are all peril, all risk. Okay. HO3 covers everything. HO1 covers less. It kind of goes up. Okay. So I feel like we, we kind of uh, started maybe talking about the more technical <laughs> aspects first. But when you talk about adjusted living expenses um, and that there are usually not caps on those, what do you mean? I mean, is that I, I was thinking that we're talking about when you have to move out to make repairs to your home, that that's the living expenses, but no? Yeah, that is exactly what ALE is. And there, there are caps, but the caps differ from the uh, water limit caps. Okay. So, and I know I'm, I'm going like really deep into this. When I say um, if you have a limit on water damage, mm -hmm. which I would encourage people not to have small limits on water damage, I'd want policy limits on water damage. There's different variations of water damage, and you'll see like a 25% limit usually with like sewer backup. That's mm -hmm. not uncommon. They'll have lower limits because sewer backup can be very expensive, and it's real common for insurance companies to limit that. But usually the sudden accidental water losses or even freeze, uh -huh. which there's, they're different, and they have they're different sections of the policy that cover that, usually it'll be policy limits. And that's what you want. Because that I'm telling you, those freeze claims can be very expensive. When you have uh, copper pipes burst mm -hmm. and you've got to change the whole plumbing system, that gets expensive fast. 
So I'm, first of all, going to my policy, looking at it, all of this information should be in there. I mean, we're talking about how many pages of a policy. Are these buried deep, or should they all be on the declarations page? They are not on the declarations page. No, you might have your limits on the declarations page. So you need to actually the policy. You want it ideally in Adobe so you can control after you can find the stuff. Mm-hmm. Now if it's the beauty is when it's an all risk policy, the coverage is the language is really short. Okay. It basically says it covers um, direct physical loss to the dwelling structure uh, you know, on the deck page. And that's yeah. all it says for a, a that's an all risk. Usually, if you don't get all risks, then it gives you certain perils. And you go through all the named perils. And a named peril policy isn't bad. All risk is better. But named policy isn't bad. You just want to make sure you have a lot of named perils. And you want freeze to be on one of those things. Okay. There's a big difference between freeze and also um, the water damage. Mm-hmm. And the policy, because the freeze covers the, the piping inside. If it's a sudden accidental water loss, usually the language says that you're responsible for the plumbing, the the tearing, the accessing the plumbing system. The uh, insurance company is responsible for, but the actual plumbing system uh-huh. for a sudden accidental water loss, like the piping. Right. Like if you had uh, you had to replace all the copper pipes from the twenty one freeze. Uh-huh. If you have, oh, if it's covered under the sudden accidental water loss, right. you got to pay for replacing the pipes. Mm-hmm. Under the free section, these are different perils in the policy. Got it. There's one section that says sudden accident water loss. One section says freeze. For freezing, the insurance company pays for replacing the piping. Okay. Again, heavy on what kind of policy you have. Is it a is it an all peril type of policy? Does it cover you know? Is it name peril? Uh-huh. What all perils are on there? If it covers freeze, then usually the insurance company has to pay for the the plumbing. Okay. And, so I like the idea that I'm opening my I'm opening my policy in my computer and I'm searching for these keywords mm-hmm. to make it a little bit easier. I'm searching for freeze, for water, looking at limits, searching for perils if they're named, what all types of perils are covered. And freezing and water are big ones. Yes, absolutely. Sudden accident war loss is big. Freeze is big. Um, weirder ones are electrical current. You know, you have power outages. That that's weirder, less common. Um, but you know, there's other other things past that. Okay. Um, falling objects is a fascinating one. I've seen that a few times. Falling objects. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a if if it's an all risk, then it's not going to say any named peril because it covers everything. Okay, and all, that's good. Yeah, you want it to be. You want it really. You want it to be real simple. Yeah. You want it to be. You know, we cover if there's direct physical loss. Mm-hmm. When it's named peril, it gets more technical. Okay. All right. Okay, so these are all things that you can look at now before any, mm-hmm. you should look at now before any weather event, before you sign on the dotted line. If you're going to renew your policy, you want to make sure that these things are included or that you get this type of policy. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about, say there is a weather event, now you've got either hail damage or damage to your home from pi- pipes that busted. We'll be right back and we're going to get into some of those types of claims. Hey, Amy, we talked about the policies. Why don't we talk about claims? Yes, talk about claims because I would imagine that when people see that they have damage or they think that they may have had damage from hail or some sort of event, there are specific things they should and should not do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Really, the biggest thing that where people mess up Uh on claims is by talking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It really is. 
Um, I'm a talker, right? When I say talking, it's like, oh, is this old? And they don't know. They say, oh, no, it's not old. Yeah. Or they are like, oh, yes, it is old. Or no, this didn't happen. Or, or yes, what do you want happen. me to say? Right. So usually the very best thing to do uh-huh. is just not talk, not okay. say anything. Think of it like if, if you're being interviewed by a police officer. I'm uh-huh. not suggesting police officers are bad. My grandfather was sheriff's deputy in the you know sheriff's department. I love police officers. But everything you can and say will be used against you. So it's always, you always want to be careful with what you say. Yeah. And how insurance companies work, if you give them an excuse to deny the claim, they will. Uh-huh. They will. And, and I think that a lot of people are honest and think if I'm just honest and just tell them everything, I, you know, everything will be fine. Sure. And nothing's wrong with being honest. I encourage right. honesty. But if you don't know, it's better to say you don't know. Don't it's, speculate. Don't answer questions that you don't know. And that always happens. There'll be stuff that is damaged that looks like fresh damage and the person just doesn't know and they feel pressured to say, oh, that's that's old or, oh, I don't know if it happened or, oh, all this stuff. Like one of the big things I saw with the winter freeze mm-hmm. is insurance companies would say, well, did you have any personal property that was messed up? And they'd be like, oh, no, no personal property messed up. But the people didn't realize that they had a ton of personal property messed up because they didn't know. Like, what do you mean? Like things inside the, inside the walls you, or? Personal property. Like you have... Whenever you had the, the pipes burst, you uh-huh. have all this insulation fall in your bedding. Oh. They're uh-huh. thinking, oh, well, nothing's wrong with it. But that it's kind of, you have issues with that. Can you get all the fiberglass out? What 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 is on that water? Can mm-hmm. you properly wash it? What And then even if you do all that stuff, that you can be uh, compensated for those type of things. Okay. So they just shortchange and said, oh, I don't got any personal property messed up. When they had a lot of personal property messed up, they just didn't know what to look for. So then what do you say? I don't know. Do you have any personal property that was damaged? You say, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. It's a fine answer. Say, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It's good because you don't know. Okay. And then when the adjuster comes out, they're going to help you determine that. Uh, you can get your own adjuster. So okay. whenever you deal with the adjuster, the adjuster usually steers, um, steers to look for no coverage. Some of them are good people. Uh-huh. Some of them are truly independent, but some of them are not, and they look to steer you know, for no coverage. Okay. It helps to get your own adjuster, to get your own people helping, or just not be there. Just have someone that's independent, just give them access and say, go look around. You are not obligated to go and show them what's damaged, so it's helpful. Yeah. It's all. What else is helpful is getting a, like a contractor or an expert to go out there and create their own estimate. Oh. That's why people hire, get roofers or get right. public adjusters or get even hire attorneys early on because this whole thing is like the insurance company goes, they get their estimate, then you go get your estimate. Yeah. If you don't have your own estimate, you're kind of, it's you're like at a gunfight without a gun. And you don't know what, if what they say or your damages are going to be near enough to cover your actual damages. And you don't know if they're missing stuff, if they're overlooking stuff. You just don't know. And okay. you don't know because it's not your field. The, the way to think about it, when you go to a car accident, you have a car accident, you go see a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. You need experts in these type of claims. If you're going to really push it, you need experts. If you have real serious damages... Some people don't even realize they have they were that massively damaged from those water events. Mm-hmm. But if you have a lot of damages, you definitely need experts. So then who should be your first call when you know that you have damage but you don't know the extent of the damage? Say hail. I mean, should it be the roofer or should it be an insurance your insurance company? Hail is different because you usually do not have any internal damage. That's an external event, right? Uh-huh. It, it, it you should technically call your insurance agent first would be that's the paper recommendation saying, hey, Mr. Uh, whoever you hired, in, whoever you bought insurance from, 
I had a, a weather event. Should I make a claim? Mm-hmm. If you feel that there's, you, and you should probably have a roofer or someone go out and inspect it, give their opinion. Uh, they'll go up the roof, take pictures, show you what's damaged, what's not damaged. If it looks like it is damaged, you probably should make a claim. Uh-huh. You, because if you don't, they will use that against you in the in the future. Oh, like how so? In that if your roof gets damaged, uh-huh. right? Two years from now, they might say, "Well, you had a really bad hailstorm two years ago." And that's when it was damaged. And, the, and maybe they weren't your insurance company of at the time. Of course, they start doing the, the pointing. Right. They point to you and you point, or they point to the old insurance, the old insurance points to them. That leads me to the question of how long do I have? Very good question. To file a claim. Hyper-technical on the policy. Um, the general rule is one year, but I would do it way sooner than that. I'd do it within, you know, first month two months, six months at the latest. If you wait after a year, then it beca- it, the policy could become an actual cash value policy. But there's not a hard and fast r- rule because it's all depending on the policy. Okay. All state, actually, you can file claims years and years later if you had insurance with all state. All state's surprisingly a decent insurance company. Yeah. Um, all state, I had a claim last year that they paid for Hurricane Harvey. Wow. I know it was. We a just had the seventh anniversary of exactly. Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, exactly. Because wow. their policy it allows you to file a claim whenever you know if it happened during that policy period, you uh-huh. can file it. There's no limits on when you can file a policy. You can file a wow. claim. Wow. Okay. So that's good to know whenever you're shopping around for policies. So you don't want to wait forever. But I know, like on roofing thing, on some roofing issues, they allow you to go back. Is it 24 months? I know you said roofing is different, no. but no, it's roofing, not. Where you have one year to make a claim or at risk going to becoming an ACV policy and you okay. showing some type of excuse. If it's nationwide, you have six months. Okay. I would encourage you to file a claim for roofing probably 90 days after it happened. Okay. Or you're going to have to look, you have to pull up the software, see when the wind events. You need to talk to an expert. If you're going, to, if you're going past that, if you didn't see the hail hit, you didn't uh-huh. get pictures of it, you probably need to talk to somebody about it and get help. Okay. All right. When we come back, we're talking about you filed the claim. How long until the insurance company, how long do they have to make good on it or to pay you? That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Happy to talk about it. <laughs> Welcome back to this episode of Ask Amy. I'm joined by Eric Dick. He's an insurance attorney you probably recognize from TV and TV commercials. We were talking about claims, and we were last talking about on the homeowner, how long do I have to file the claim? Now now say I've filed it. A lot of times we hear from people who say, you know, I filed it, and they're just not getting back to me, or, or you know, it seems to be taking a long time. How long does your insurance company have to respond? So I'll tell you what the rules say. This is, this is funny stuff. So the rules, this goes under 542 of the insurance code. This is where it kind of it gets real technical. Mm-hmm. Basically, they have 60 days from the date they receive all documents, receive everything they ask for to make a claim decision. Okay. That's if they're a surplus lines carrier, a certain type of carrier, they have a little bit more time. Okay. But basic there's other hype, there's other deadlines besides that, but the 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 overall deadline is 60 days. But here's kind of the exception. Mm-hmm. What insurance companies really like to do, they like to send letters and saying, "Hey, we need more information. We need this, we need this, we need this." Uh, some of the the last four, you know, pictures, correspondence, all sorts of different things that they could think of, right? Stall tactics. Well, it, it is. I mean, it's yeah. the, just the law in Texas is anti-consumer. It's heavily lobbied. Mm-hmm. It's really pro-insurance company. 
and you'll see it whenever you're going through a claim. Okay. I've had claims take many years to get fully resolved. Now you have remedies. You can fight with them, and you can mm-hmm. get you have some remedies, but it's usually heavily cited towards the insurance company. So even though it's technically 60 days, it's, uh-huh. it's there's other deadlines that are smaller. It usually falls in the cap of 60 days under 542. But there's always exceptions, and what they love to do is ask you for additional stuff. One of the things they really love to do is ask for an examination under oath, and that scares a whole bunch of people. It's kind of a scare tactic. Um, it's kind of silly, especially when it's a roof claim. Uh-huh. Usually the examination under oath, because it's like a deposition. Yeah, so it makes you feel like you're being cross-examined. You kind of are being yeah. cross-examined. <laughs> you kind of are. There's no rules like a deposition, meaning like there's you can't go to the court. There's just no rules. Where it. does that usually happen? Uh, so before COVID, it would happen at your lawyer's office or the insurance company's office. After COVID, we'll do it by Zoom. Oh. Um, if it's something more technical, like a theft, these are usually you use these examination under oaths for thefts uh-huh. because there's question of whether the person uh, making the claim is, is lying. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's real common to see those in thefts or really complicated claims yeah. like fire claims, smoke claims, maybe water damage because water damage could be pretty complicated. But I've seen them used routinely in roof claims. So really? I have. And there's not a whole lot to ask in roof claims. So it's kind of a, a silly, like, intimidate you for, like, 15 minutes and ask you stuff. It's like, okay, well. Well, and in those things, I mean, you've already told us that we shouldn't talk too much. So once you get to that stage. You want to get a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, you should definitely get a lawyer. And a lawyer can do a lot in those examinations under oath because there's no rules. Okay. Like what I'll do is I'll start I'll start fussing at the other side, and I always fuss at them because there's no rules. Uh huh. You can fuss if it's right. a deposition. <laughs> you have certain things each side can do. Okay. There's no rules for an examination under oath. There's just no rules because it's not like a real court proceeding. It's a quasi court. It's a contractual proceeding. Okay. But there's when I say there's no rules, there's not any case law on it. Okay. There's no civil procedure on examinations under oath. There's no rules. Okay. All right. We have about three minutes left, maybe a little bit less than three minutes. So um, how long then do they have to pay out on a claim if they're supposed to respond within 60 days, but they could drag that out? So they were supposed to pay out within, they're supposed to respond for, uh, within like 14 days. Oh, they're okay. Supposed to, they're supposed to pay out or make a claim decision within 60 days. Okay. That gets that gets pushed back all sorts of times. Okay. And whenever you're whenever they do a payout, usually it goes they get a it goes to the consumer, they get they get an estimate, they get ex, an explanation of the payout. Usually. But then it, there's all sorts of different exceptions to that. Some and I've seen all sorts of different variations. Okay. Sometimes they'll just do a wire transfer of money to uh-huh. you, which is interesting. Um, sometimes they'll send you checks with everybody and their, everybody they could think of named on it, where it's uh-huh. real, you got to go through a scavenger hunt to get that check cash. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes they'll send the check to the mortgage company if it's a lender-placed policy, yeah. policy put on by the lender. Sometimes they'll send it to the roofing company if you signed a direction to pay or you signed certain documents that have it go to the roofing company. But I'd say 90% of the time it goes to the homeowner, uh-huh. and the homeowner gets the check and goes over it all.
Okay, and that's really the way that it should happen because we we've warned against sort of those contingency contracts too. Whenever you go with a roofer, file the claim through them, a lot of times they want you to sign this document that says if the claim is approved, you will use our company. And when you sign that, are you generally also signing that the insurance company is just going to send them that check? Uh, it can. A lot of them don't do it anyway. Okay. So it can. There can be a direction to pay in there. Uh, the a lot of the roofers aren't the most sophisticated in paperwork. Uh huh. So even like I'm I'm familiar. I'll, I'll do CLEs at roofing companies mm-hmm. or at the the supply companies. And I talked also. I'm usually familiar with most of the vendors out there. Okay. And I will tell you, they're not the most. I mean, the roofers are not the most sophisticated type of people. They know roof damage well. Uh-huh. They know what hail looks like. They know how to fix a roof. Yeah. They don't always know how to organize a business. They don't always have their paperwork to a T because it's complicated. Yeah. We are going to put links to um, where you can reach out to Eric Dick. We'll also put links to the Texas Department of Insurance uh, uh-huh. Customer Service Complaints. Is that helpful at all? Yeah. Why not? Uh, people make a <laughs> Complaints, and I'd say they're rarely anything happens from it. Yeah. But you can make a complaint. I say at the very least, maybe it's a record of which insurance companies are getting complained about the most at the end of the day. So the state legislature does look at that. Uh But I also note that the state legislature is heavily influenced by lobbyists. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on today to talk to us. Hopefully you won't have to file a claim, but hopefully this is a good resource, a good guide if you do. Thanks so much. Thank you, Amy. Y'all have rights. Use your rights.